Welcome on in. Enswell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at protonmail.com. Come at the hour, come at the man. Shout out, props, congratulations, well done, and everything else and more to the new European cruiserweight champion, Belfast finest, Tommy McCarthy. In a week, when David Hay tried to sell sand to the Arabs, he tried to convince us the impossible could happen. But it didn't. When the monster that is anyway beats up, knocks out a brave and gallant Andrew Maloney, and Tank Davis delivers an unmerciful uppercut to upturn Leo Santa Cruz. An Australian, George Cambosis Jr., flips the script to score a points win on Lee Selby and leave him with some serious questions over his career. And what a truly incredible weekend boxing we had. A little bit of something for everybody. But pride of place, as I said at the top of the show, gotta go to our man, the Mac Attack, Tommy McCarthy. And I don't know about you, but he fucking dragged me through the ringer. I went from thinking it was going to be a breeze, to thinking he was cruising, to worrying, and then wondering, had he done it? But I needn't have worried. Needn't have worried. Oh ye of little faith, someone said. The big man got the job done. He closed out the show and he claimed his prize. I've given him a couple of days. I'm not going to be tormenting him because he's the toast of the hour. He's Everybody wants to get a piece of him. And rightly so, and why not? But we will be in touch with him to get him back on here to talk to you as soon as the dust settles. Now coming up in today's episode, I've got plenty of stick, plenty of it, and episodes about where the guests are from and is there no one else to talk to and everything else. So... Here we go today, we've got a particular monster feel and flavour to the episode. We've got Kerry's Kingdom Warrior, Kevin Cronin, back on the episode to talk about his fledgling career and how he's been keeping himself going over the last few weeks and months. I had, you know, I had a great start. I made my debut, went over to London then a couple of weeks later and put on a stronger performance again. And it was just a string of bad luck coming with it. When we think of cheeky, witty, brazen and then downright bold sometimes, tough as nails, proud fight anybody anywhere there's only one Corkman that really jumps to the top of the queue and it is of course the feature guest in today's episode Spike O'Sullivan as I heard my coach Pascal saying you know no matter what you always respect for each other after the fight like you that's true I respect every uh, opponent I was ever in the ring with uh, I still don't like Lemieux <laughs> I think he's a prick without keeping you waiting any longer I'm going to give you a shout out special shout out and thanks to everybody that's been in touch this week Dara Ben Billy Desi, all been in touch in the last couple of days. Thank you guys for, for taking the time and reaching out. Lovely, lovely message from previous guest and stalwart of the of the women's boxing world, Stacey Copeland. Got a lovely message from her on Sunday. So thanks to you, Stacey, and I hope you're keeping well and safe. Special shout out and keep it going, of course, to my pal, my main man, Aidan Quindlevin. Credible what you're doing there and, and you're, 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 just, you're just mesmerizing doctors and experts all over the place. But... Look, nothing we didn't already know there, Eden, so keep it up, my man. Paddy Maher, thanks a million. To Dean Byrne, G-Train, and all the other people who took time out of their week and their hectic, crazy, unnatural, and the farthest thing from normal couple of phase we're going through. Thank you. Appreciate it a lot. You may have noticed, and I hope you did, that we did a little bit of an extra episode last week, which is something going to work on and try and develop over the coming weeks. I've been working with Johnny Rashman, 
to try and develop something of a, I won't say a Soccer Saturday style, but something in the old football TV show kind of formats, where there's a little bit of light-hearted humour, tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, taking up the topics of the week, looking at the fights, looking at the fixtures, looking at what's gone beyond, and look what's gone before. So, we're going to try and put some flesh on those bones and see how it goes, and we'll have another episode coming up later on in this week. As I said, Johnny Rashman, based in Manchester, he's a fellow Man United fan, but uh, we had a good bit of crack with it last week, even if it was a little bit rushed. We've got it a little bit more settled down, and we'll have another one for you out on this Friday. Before I take you on over to my conversation with Big Kev, I want to chat about a couple of bits and pieces that probably said I wouldn't in my head. I wasn't going to bring them up on this episode. I'm not getting involved. I'm not letting it get to me. But I have. And I record this on Wednesday morning, just putting the finishing touches to the episode. And I made the fatal error of listening to a David Hay interview as I brought Zach to school. What to say? What to say? Why did I do it? You told yourself you wouldn't do it? Why do you listen to that man still? Why does he still manage to get under your skin? All of those thoughts. Does he know what he's talking about? Does he know what he's seeing? But I guess he's an ultimate salesman. He sees himself as the ultimate salesman. But there's something else jumps in my mind. And it screams louder than anything else he tries to tell me. And the question that it screams at me is, does he care about Derek Chisora? Does he believe in Derek Chisora? Does he want the best for Derek Chisora? Or is this the best chance and the only chance for David Hay to stay relevant and stay in the glare of the media? Answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the question. Does he genuinely care? Does he have any... I don't know. I don't know. He tried to say in an interview, and I'm not going to dwell too much on it, in an interview with Coogs, that um, Derek lost 7-5. Mate, Derek didn't lose 7-5. Derek didn't even lose 7-4. Derek didn't even lose 9-4. Derek lost 10-2 some. Right. End of. I will save the full review and, and my thoughts and everything else for that review show that we're going to do a little bit later in the week, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Now, a topic that I try to avoid and I refuse to allow under my skin, again, most days and twice on Sundays, is politics. I don't believe politics. I don't believe in the people who purport to represent you, me and everybody else. I just don't believe in them. I just don't. I believe there are good people in the system that's just broken. And it is set up and rigged in such a way to favour the machine all the time. So, take of that what you may. But this morning, I'm looking at identity politics. And I'm looking at all the reams and reams and reams of tweets and twits and shits and hollers. And all the different biased, pathetic, slanted news stories. Be it in favour of Trump, be it anti-Trump be it in favour of dopey, sleepy Joe, whatever the case may be. And I can't help but think, who do America think they are? Who do the American government think they are? As the captain would say, they're in a state of chassis. Who do they think they are? Flitting around the world, imposing their thoughts, their regime on countries all around this globe, destroying them, reducing them to rubble leaving them in a worse state than they could ever have been 
while before they arrived. Politics. Lies. Stealing. Cheating. Doing everything they can to stomp and stamp and climb all over one another to get what they want individually, collectively. But it's a little bit of a, I suppose, a development of that thing is identity boxing. And what's come now, and, and it's not just boxing, I suppose, the identity in general of people in the public eye and people taking them at face value. Like, there is a terrible habit in this anti-social media era that we're, that we're um, muddling through, shall we say, that some people are trying to muddle through, other people are just breezing through, um, of identity politics, of believing people and liking people or disliking people for what they're saying. For example... Barack Obama looked like, spoke like JFK, acted like, I don't know, what did he act like? Pick the worst deviant you could. Look at his record. Look at the amount of bombs. Look at the amount of attacks. Look at the amount of wars, proxy wars everywhere. Trump, because of how he looks, because of what he says, his views on one thing or another, and people, people allow that to cloud their thoughts on him. Maybe that's what you want to do. Similar to coaches, pundits, retired fighters... But, but, but why? If a pundit or an ex-fighter has a pal, has a friend, an ex-sparring partner, an ex-stablemate, whatever, they work for the same promoter, they're told how to keep getting paid, get their palms greased, they're going to have a bias for whatever reason, they're going to talk them up. It's natural. It's natural for you to talk about your friend and to bum your friend up and make him out to be as best possibly can, if you're a good friend. It's a human thing. But to me, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what they say. More often than not, in boxing, in life, I'm inclined to look at what they're doing. See what their actions are, rather than read their posts. Forgive and forget. Turn the other cheek. Make love. Be friendly. Treat people how you want to be treated. And then you look at them in the real world and they're holding grudges all over the place. They can't, won't let the past lie. They want to dredge up every little, every little mistake that anybody has ever made and very conveniently just can't remember their own. As in politics or in relationships. Look at the actions. Look at behaviours rather than quotes or talk. Do they talk nice, but do they act nice? Trump takes a lot of shit. And, and let's be honest about it, at times he deserves it. But look at what he's done. He's made a priority to end the trafficking and child exploitation around the world. That in itself. I got ridiculed for talking about that four or five years ago. Now it's frontline news. He's brokered peace deals between Israel and their endless list of enemies. I mean, that in itself is another debate. But look, I'm not going down that road either. North and South Korea. Most recently, Israel, Sudan. And where's ISIS gone? Anybody? ISIS? Anyone know? Hands up there at the back. Do you know? You? Yeah, you. Must be just on a... Must be on a maybe gardening leave or something, is it, for, for COVID? Don't know. But most notably, and this one is very noticeable, if you want, there's been no new conflicts. No new conflicts. No wars. Four years, America are not start, haven't started on anybody else. 
that in itself has to be a record. As I said, my way of viewing things is through broad binoculars. Look, don't listen. And when you're looking at boxing on a Saturday night or Sunday morning when you want to look back at it and have a look at what really happened, if you were a little bit hazy that night or you had someone in your ear or you were getting messages or whatever the case may be, turn it down. Look at what you're seeing. Scribble down a few little notes. Is his, is he moving to the left? Is he moving to the right? Is he taking shots? Is he catching shots? Is he parrying shots? What's he doing? What is she able to turn to the other side? Is she able to force her opponent back onto the ropes? What way is she fighting? See for yourself. And you might not get it right the first time. You might not get it right the hundred and first time. But you will be surprised how quick you start to change the way you look at things and the way you start to see things for what they really are. And in boxing, that's that's key to being able to score a fight, to being able to understand the fight, and to being able to um, to be able to relay it. But in the bigger picture of the real world, and in real life, and in stuff that's going on that matters in everyday life, if you can see it, slow it down, see it for what it is, and call it for what it is, your life is going to be a whole lot better. It was March 2019, just prior to his pro debut, that the Kingdom Warrior, Kevin Cronin, was last on the show. As you'd expect back then, he was keyed up, he was buoyed by the anticipation of the event itself and anticipation of what lay ahead in a pro career. Fast forward 18 months, he's just as keen, he's just as hungry, he's just as enthusiastic, possibly a little bit frustrated, which it's fair to say many of us have felt at varying times over the last few weeks and months. But Kev joined me on Tuesday to look back over the 18 months to look over his fights, to look and where he is right now. Brilliant to welcome Kingdom Warrior back to the podcast. I'm Kev, how are you keeping? Good, man. How are you? You're, you're holed up down there in the south. Is everything good down there? Yeah, it's good down here. And I'm just trying to trying to stay fit in the pandemic. You know, just trying to do what we can do. There's a couple of different strands to this. I suppose the first part of it, from a fighting point of view and boxing point of view, the best we could say about Irish boxing right now in the domestic scene is it's in hibernation. For a fella like yourself, a boxer who has serious talent serious ambitions and serious dreams how's it been for you you know and it's a, it's definitely been tough because i had you know i had a great start i had my i made my debut and um, i had a good few months training up for the debut had a great debut went over to london then a couple of weeks later and put on a stronger performance again fought a whole different style of fight than i did in my debut and everything was looking great i i had plenty of fights lined up for the year mm-hmm. it was then going over to scotland to fight in the undercard where Siobhan O'Leary was going to fight the healthy title that fell through and it was just like when that fell through there was just a string of bad luck coming with it the fight in London coming up that fell through then Christmas came and everything was going very strong I was training a lot in Dublin that time and I was breaking through the mitts you know it was, everything was going great and Nixon had a fight coming up for St. Patrick's weekend Nixon that fell through again because of COVID but uh, it's just been a disaster, you know. <laughs> I'm out with a ring now over a year just because of all this. But no, what can we do when you stay ready the whole time? And-, and from your point of view, I suppose you have youth on your side, side, you have age. But being realistic about it in boxing, it's about momentum, it's about timing, it's about breaks. Now, I know Leonard and the lads in the background doing a, a phenomenal job. I mean, the, the little series of videos and stuff that you've you've put together. Again, it's a part of keeping the face out there. It's, a, it's important, isn't it, to stay patient because... It, 
a fella now could jump at an opportunity and go jump in somewhere as an away fighter and it could undo all the good work you've had at the beginning, couldn't it? It's obviously not a great thing to be this inactive over all this, but in a way, you've got to take the pluses with it as well because if if I had a momentum and I was constantly fighting every six weeks with a, since I made my debut and then all of a sudden there's a, a block in the road and you can't fight for three or four months, you know, you don't know what to do. So I have my break between the fights and I was able to sit down and actually watch my fights back, you know, and see see things I've been doing that I shouldn't have been doing and what suited me. And, you know, I've I've spared hundreds of rounds, rounds this year, you know. So, like, I, t- I actually think I'm a whole different animal to what I was when I made my debut. That's an incredible point as well to be able to look at that and say you, you, can, you can acknowledge and spot that the boxing in that time has changed that much. I suppose people could look from the outside and say, how does he think he's totally different? But then when you're in behind them closed doors, you know, sparring and all that, just it's people don't know what goes into it and how how the smallest thing could change, you know, like we tweaked one or two things and it just changed me completely as a fighter, you know. It's like coming into the pros, I was like even when the write ups were about me, I was a puncher because I was you know, I I love nothing but a good scrap in the amateurs. My debut, I it was my first fight where I actually tried to box. I boxed quite well, but obviously it wasn't perfect, like you know. But since then, I've just I've been boxing. I I think I've been boxing fairly good, like you know, even behind closed doors when we're sparring, I've been sparring complete different styles. That's what I've been trying to do lately. Is just everyone I'm sparring, I want them to just be completely different because I don't want to get used to this one style. And now at least I know the styles I struggle with, and how you know how I overcome that when I'm. When I'm in that position, struggling with a style, how am I going to, you know, dig deep and how am I going to find a way and beat in that style? So that's the way I'm looking at it. And on a day-to-day basis, on a weekly basis, have you kept your, your routine the same, your training as before, or have you had to taper? Yeah, well, look, obviously I had to taper it back. There's no one could sit back for 12 months and keep 100% training because, you know, coming into a fight, you have to be, you have to peak at the right time. So if I'm training that hard the whole time, and I go past my peak, I think it could just, it could ruin you. You know, that's, that's what I don't want to happen. So I want to just train, train at the right level at the right time. And once we finally get a fight coming up and we know fight in 10 weeks time, we can start upping it and upping it. Look, I'm, I'm fit now, but obviously when you're coming into a fight camp, it's a whole different level. Like, so that's the time I really want to up my training. We're not going to talk about the weight side of things, but if I had a fight, if I had a fight tomorrow morning, I was 79 kgs and another fight in six weeks' time, you can get, I can guarantee you I'd be cutting for the second fight from 91. <laughs> and <laughs> not going to lie to you about that one. You have a team around you and you have an expert team around you and, you ha- and you're building your knowledge all the time and you're learning. There's nobody to do it better and no one knows you better at this stage to be able to do it and do it healthily so you're not crashing it. If we're going through a learning phase at the minute, that's why I'm looking. I'm not looking as in we're out, you know, as in there's no fights coming up. There's nothing coming up for ages. We're down, we're out. There's nothing happening. You gotta look at you just gotta it's a learning phase, that's what it is. You gotta get used to it, get used to being inactive and how do you come back from being inactive? That's that's something, you know, you just gotta get used to in this game. And keeping the mind strong is the biggest part of it, really, isn't it? Minds are gonna be tested after this once this is all over because You'll see whose mind is strong when it comes to everyone getting back in the ring after this. What I like to do when, on Civvy Street is take a lot of the qualities and the things that you use and you hear the people like yourself and, and boxers use 
to, to train your mind and keep your mind focused look at the immediate stuff live in the now be here don't be thinking about Christmas don't be thinking about Paddy's I think I think a lot of those strengths that you guys implement on a day to day basis I think if you put them into people in the everyday world that everyday world wouldn't be in the bit of a chaos that it's in at times you know it's a mental game isn't it you can have all the talent in the world but if your mind look, this is a great example the pandemic you can have all the talent in the world but everyone now everyone's kind of inactive with nearly a year so talent is going, isn't really going to help you when you get back in the ring for the first time. Your mind's going to have to be strong because your mind's been away in a whole different world for the last 12 months, you know. I'm calling it a my wadi lockdown because it's diluted so much from the first time. We'd no sport whatsoever. We really did hit a, hit a black hole. We'd no boxing, we'd no football, we'd no nothing. At least this time around, we're getting fights. We're getting we're getting good fights. You know, we, we chatted extensively there. In the last few weeks, we've had all the big lads coming out to play. Is that more of an interest? You being one of those big lads... Is it better watching for you because you're used to competing at those weights? It is, but you, do you know what? It's just nice to be able to see because we can actually watch something happening that we don't know what's going to happen because we're not watching back over fights. But at least you're watching them and you're just kind of getting that bit of motivation. You know, you can't wait to get back in there. Jeez, I'd love to be fighting on that undercard now. Wouldn't you just love to be there? That's It's kind of, it keeps you going because even watching the whole Chisora undercard the last day, you know, it's, watching it and you're saying geez I'd love to I'd love to be on that undercard so you're up the next morning out running still with that in your head you're running the road like and just thinking thinking oh you know you just want to fight again like. we're looking over the last few weeks we've had the we've not only have we had the big lads but we've had likes of Paulie McCullough we've had Tommy McCarty Paddy McCrory we've had big Stevie Ward all lads that are um they're Irish they're in up around as I said light heavy maybe super middle up around that area possible future opponents for the Kingdom Warrior at some point in time. The angle I wanted to take on this, those lads have all come through with an extensive, massive amateur background. Does it work for you or does it work against you? Well, you know, you can look at it in several different ways. Like, you know, because you could be, you could be, we've seen, you know, we've seen this happen a thousand times before. You have Olympic gold medalists and Olympic bronze medalists and they're jumping into the pro ring and it's just not for them, you know, and they get beat and they're getting beat by people that had no background in the amateurs. And look, I'm lucky enough. I did have a, I did have a good amateur career. And I have a lot of good names. Like, you know, go back to the amateurs, the small, that's it, the small hall shows. I was never someone to, I'd like to get matched up against someone that's at my level. I always wanted to be boxing a person levels above me because since day one, I've been building, you know, to, to be a better boxer, not just to have good scraps with lads at small hall shows. I was boxing elite fighters, you know, in these small hall shows when I was a novice and when I was an intermediate, I was fighting these elite lads, you know, I was never, I was never one that wanted to, you know, stay at the level I was at. So, you could look at different ways. I I think I did bring a good pedigree from the amateurs, you know, I won some fairly good titles around the amateurs, but to box at the elite level, yeah, look, the experience is brilliant, them lads are bringing over, so, She's like what Paulie McCullough last day. Like he just looked like an absolute beast in there. Really, he was unbelievable. So it's the pros is definitely for him. You can tell that straight away. Um, future opponents with all them legs, maybe so down the line. Well, look, no one knows what the future holds at this stage. A shout out as well to your own stable. I know Leonard and Stephen and the lads haven't had much. They haven't had much opportunity, and, and probably not likely to in the immediate future. But they had a massive result there recently, and we talked about it again off air about Caitlin feeling that that's going to give a shot in the arm to the whole to whole process and the whole 
production team when they do eventually get back in gear. And I've no doubt in my mind, there's, there's, I know there's shows been talked about before the end of the year. Are we likely to see you out before the end of the year, do you think? Or what, what's your hopes? I think in the last couple of weeks, maybe there might be something by the end of the year, but chances are not. Right now, I'm I'm just working on myself, working on my boxing. The real world, as we like to call it, you're not sitting around doing nothing. You're after starting recently, you're, you have a new job. Well, new job, I have a new job in a couple of months. I, I'm firefighter in Tralee. But, um, look, it's a, it's a good boxing. I get good hours to train, work with a good gang. So, yeah, I'm on call. <laughs> look, there's no way I can start talking about how tough it is because there's lads there with 30, you know, like 20, 30 years. And if I start talking nine months in about how tough it is, I will get some doing. If you were to pick a highlight, Kev, of the fights over the last few weeks or months, could you pick one or maybe two that that, that, that you could say yeah, they're your favourites? Yeah, definitely. The Shelby Gamboza one. The one, definitely the one that impressed me the most over the last couple of weeks. Um, like I've never, I've never seen that man fight before, and just watching him the last night, yeah, he's definitely he's made a new fan of me. He he's is unbelievable, and he's a hell of a nice fella. And I want to thank Kev again for taking time. A little bit of an impromptu interview just came to mind. I'm going to try and keep in touch and reach out as many of the domestic and, and amateur fighters now as we come to this. As I said, thanks to Kevin. And he messaged me this morning just to point out that he had got the name wrong. It was George Cambosis Jr. he was talking about. Not happens to the best of us, believe you me. Conversation I had recently, only last night, this morning actually, about the older days of Fado Fado, where we uh, teenagers used to go to discos, used to go probably on a Sunday evening, generally in primary school, maybe early years, yeah, definitely primary school, maybe fifth class, sixth class. Where, and the topic was about asking people to dance and asking a girl to dance. Now, the younger folk of today, the teenagers of today, probably only have to hit them up through Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else, or, or whatever else, where to swipe left or swipe right or up or down or whatever the case may be. But back in the days, lads, and it's not that long ago, and girls, it was a case of having to go to a disco and there'd be lads on one side and girls on the other. Now, not strictly, but mostly. And when the music or the, so- the slow set had come on and you'd have to make that lonely old trek all the way across the floor. And believe you me, lads, it's not as easy as it sounds. And, and maybe it is for some. There was always the couple who were the, had the swagger, who had the, the arrogance and the, the confidence, or whatever else you want to call it, to make that walk without any fear. But for a few of us, it was absolutely fucking terrifying treacherous and you make those steps across you've got your hands in your pockets you've got your head down and you're probably mumbling into your shoes uh, will you dance me now if she says yeah it's all good it's not too bad you gotta make you gotta you get to dance the slow dance which um can be awkward enough in itself at the same time when you're a young fella and you're not used to it but let me tell you this much if she says no and you gotta make that dance you gotta make that walk all the way back across the floor I've said it before, I keep saying it, I can I can remember it vividly. Didn't happen that often, but it happened often enough to know that you would genuinely feel every pair of eyes in the place is watching you. Of course they're not, of course they don't care, of course they're all got their own little concerns at that age. But at those days, those are the days, character building stuff. And I know it's not on the par with walking to rings and getting ready for fights and everything else, it's a little bit of light humour, but it's a conversation, as I said, that came up here earlier on. Get in touch with your memories of it. Can you tell me of, of one of those days where it happened? Can you remember days where where you got the best, and biggest and best yes of your life? Or can you remember the heartbreak? Hit me up and let me know what you think. And one last little bit. You may remember a couple of weeks ago we had a fantastic guest on. We have fantastic guests on every week. But we had Ella Thompson, 
who was on a few short weeks ago and she chatted about everything there was about going to boarding school about her boxing and about being on the toy show and of course meeting her idol and training with her idol Katie Taylor fast forward a couple it's it's a little over a week I suppose it's about 10 days and yesterday the postman arrived a little envelope in a little bag and I opened it and I have to say I was absolutely blown away and I'm going to read out a little note that I got and it says to Al thank you so much for taking your time to do a podcast with Daddy and I I really appreciate everything you did for us I hope you enjoy your little present as a thank you from Joyful Boxing believe in yourself thanks Al Ella now even for a grisly old sour narky contrary freezing cold grumpy fella on a Tuesday let me tell you this much nothing warmed me even a bowl of stew wouldn't warm me as much as that did so Ella Cliff thank you so much thank you very much and there was one for me and there was one for Zach and he wore his to school this morning so I gotta say again from the bottom of my heart thanks again when we think of colourful characters we think of big personalities in Irish boxing over the years Spike O'Sullivan certainly ranks up there among the best of them not just for talent but for personality for colour for humour and for a streak in him as well when he wants to be as, as my granny used to say he can be bold as brass he's been in with the very best of them over the years he's had a, a slow start to the career which he built all the way up to realise the dream of eventually becoming a golden boy promoted fighter he's had domestic beefs if you want with the likes of Anthony Fitzgerald he's had huge international fights on the big stage with the likes of Chris Eubank Jr with the likes of Antoine Douglas and of course with the likes of Jaime Munguia and David Lemieux is always honest he's always witty and if you're not familiar with his social media or you're not familiar with his Twitter or the likes of his references to the mother-in-law as they call it you got to get on there and have a look at some of the stuff it's just pan it's just comical since turning pro he's forged a partnership and a friendship almost a family with Pascal Collins in the Celtic Warriors gym and they have scaled the heights they've had some huge highs they've had a couple of lows and the journey's not just finished yet he brings a humour, a comedy and a real laugh to a business which at times, if we're honest, can be dark. It can be a bit horrible when it wants to be. And I don't mind admitting, when I started podcasting almost two years ago now, one of the lads close to the top of that list was, of course, Spike himself. I just, I've always liked watching him, I've always enjoyed his honesty and I've always enjoyed his boxing. And it was a pleasure to speak with Spike a little over a week ago. Have a listen. Yeah, uh, you're going back to our gym there where I grew up in Mahan. Uh, it's very beneficial for the, the kids, like the children in, in the community. Uh, a lot of them thrive and benefited greatly from it, you know. It gave them good discipline and they learned a lot about diet and, you know, just being fit in general and uh, learned how to do a lot of exercises and how to skip and when to run, etc. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a great sport, like. Yeah, and, and I'd say that's something over the years. I mean, I know from talking to um, Wayne McCullough a good bit and talking to P- Paul Bottomer a little bit, Paul was telling me about making weight for the Olympics and stuff. Um, there were Over the years, you must have learned more than you could ever imagined for, as far as making weight and dieting and everything else and, and nutrition. And you would uh, you'd learn a, a, lot, a great deal about it. and You know, the 
a long beer stick at it. I I I've been boxing now for uh forty one years. So mm. uh you know, you get get more and more experience. You can't buy experience this say and you know, you encounter you come across a lot of uh, various people, strength and conditioning coaches and dietitians and pick up things from all, like, you know, and uh, just uh, get a wealth of experience from it. Thirty one years, that's like when you, when you when, does it seem that long? I bet you it doesn't, does it? Um, no, it tends to it tends to go by quickly. Uh, no, um, I can I, I can never remember the day that I wasn't actually a boxer, you know, because I can't remember much of my childhood before I was five years of age. So I've always been a boxer. And I can't remember much, not much else, like. And in terms of growing up, I suppose in Cork, it's it's um it's it's what you guys loved, and and a lot of people, and I always loved it. I love the dichotomy between Cork, Dublin, Belfast, and especially not just boxing, but in general terms, it's like the real capital, and and take the Cork out of Ireland, and it sinks. I love all those little. I just I just love it, and and of course the dubs are oh what 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 you know and. And yeah, then you've got yeah. the, and then you've got the fellas up north. When it comes to boxing, they've got the they've got the hand on all of us, but because they're just, well, it's it's incredible, you know, when it comes to champions and and, and turning it out. But um, growing up in Cork, it's probably like everywhere else, Spike. It's changed radic- radically, I'd say, over the years. But for for you growing up in it, was it um, it must have been a lot more simplistic, I'd say, than it is today, isn't it? Um, I say it was, yeah. So not it's a very sporting county, Cork. You know, uh, a lot of sport here. Uh, he is very strong here, uh, hurling and football, and just a very sport oriented uh, city. Always has been, still is. You know, uh, even the bot the boxing is stronger now than it kind of ever was, I suppose. Um, you know, it's, it's a great place to grow up. I I loved it, and I uh, bought a house here recently, and uh, I'll be here forever. You know, I, I never move. Yeah, no, it's um, I'm well. The GA, my own background in the GA was I, I've spent almost twenty years, but I suppose at, at club level, county level, just at different administration levels and stuff. I was one of those fellas that I never needed to be told uh, if there was no, I was number twenty because there was no twenty one that sort of thing. And I realised it fairly <laughs> quick. I realised it fairly quickly and decided I was going to develop my talent elsewhere. And that's probably where I come into the media side of things with Kildare and stuff now. Um, I wasn't around when you lads um, acquired two of our biggest stars and two of our only real genuine stars in Larry Tompkins and Shea Fahey but um, I believe that was a media storm in itself but yeah it's massive car- but they're by and large no matter what it is whether it's Sonia whether it's yourself whether it's Roy Keane whether it's whether it's today's boxers they're ferociously passionate people aren't they? Very passionate people the car people yeah for sure yeah definitely but you know I'm proud to be from Cork but like I've spent a lot of time in Dublin too, and I've got a lot of good friends in Dublin. And I think the, the crowd in the north are uh, entitled to say that they're probably the best. They have their hand in the boxing because, uh, well, professionally anyway, for sure, because you know they've a lot of good professionals from up that way. And you know, so I think yeah, but I've good banter with them all. The lads from the north and from Dublin, and rather say my my home is Cork, and uh, I'm proud to be from there. Like. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think the boxing family in general. There's, a, of course, again, it's like everything else. It's like every there's rivalries, and there's there's most of them. Is it fair to say most rivalries and most beefs? No, I know there's a few that don't, but most of them tend to die when the fight's over. They tend to just drift, and uh, and, it, and it tends to phase out. Then doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know, it's settled in the ring on the night, and you know, no matter what, as I heard my 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 friend, my coach Pascal saying uh, after the. Um, Fights like you know, no matter what 
you always respect for each other after the fight. Like you, you gotta have some level anyway, and uh, that's true. I respect every uh, opponent I was ever in the ring with. Uh, you know, I respect them all. And uh, beef dies, yeah, for sure. Even though I still don't like Lemieux, yeah. I think he's a good prick. I <laughs> he was the only one I was going to say I'd say out of the opponents that you've had even the beast yes. I'd say him and I Eubank maybe <laughs> I think Eubank uh, but Eubank had a right to dislike me you know I antagonised him greatly uh, a lot like you know and he, he won the fight and fair play to him but uh, not so much him but Lemieux was a prick you mm. know um, like him a lot but uh, and no, all the rest uh, yeah any beef that was ever before the fight all died in the ring and uh, became friends pretty much after like yeah and I think that's something that comes in from amateur level and it comes in, and it brings back to what when I was chatting with you just off air there about your amateur background and your amateur career it's 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 a, it, it's kind of instilled in, in boxers from the jump isn't it that it's look you can have your rivalries you can get on you can fight in the street or whatever else when you fight in the ring it's done and then if it happens again and again but your own career, as you said, off you were saying you had a couple of clubs and and, and you eventually set your own up. Um, was it was it a long? Did you spend long in the amateur game, Spike? Yes, I did. I started when I was five, and uh, I was in around until I was twenty three. Like uh, when I turned professional at twenty three, but I spent about five years predominantly training people. We set up our own club. My mother, my father, my brothers, uh, locked man box that we set up. That up. I was about eighteen, and uh, I was uh, expecting a baby. At that time as well, so I kind of I was on an apprenticeship in sheet metal work. So uh, boxing went on back burner for myself personally, but I was working away training young lads in the community man. And um, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, I suppose I was in it for eighteen years as well. The amateur part of part of the game, you know. And, and that gave you then the, the and was it always going to be was the pro always an option? And you went you turned over. I think it was two thousand and eight. Was that always going to be the case, or was it? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't not, not really. Well, it was always kind of a dream, like, but I kind of had almost given up on it, really. Um, but I always, you no, know, in the gym training, all the young fellas, and I used to get in and have not the odd spare, and I always kind of had a bit of a hunger for it. And went back and had a couple of fights, and then I got a call one day from uh, Pascal Collins, and he was in uh, he was in Boston at the time, and that's how kind of all I came about. I went professional, like, you know, I, I wasn't sure either. I wasn't sure at all if I, I thought I might just have one fight. I, I didn't know. I just had one fight, took a one fight by time and uh, one rolled on to the next one and the next one. And here I am, going to think into my 14, 13 to 14 year and I was a professional. My next fight will be my 35th. Uh, that's, that's incredible. And I think, again, to talk Pascal and to talk Packy and, and uh, I, I oftentimes, I, I just, I, every time I smile when I see you, it's like, it's I don't know whether sometimes it's like father son is it like an older brother younger brother, it's a coach it's a it's it's a friendship it's it's a special connection isn't it he's a he's a yeah, he's like a, I'd say he's more like a grandfather. <laughs> he's definitely going to give you one for nice now, but uh, but the the crack is so it's it's refreshing you know and I've said this to Ray. And um, Niall tells me when yourself and Milet are together, there's no sense talked whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, but I think that's what's so good about it, isn't it? It's there's no doubting. And, and I just say this about like the two the two Tyrones in the north. Everyone looks at them and they'd be foolish for thinking they're Egypts, they're Messers. They work as hard as anyone else as you do, and the, you and the lads do. But it's important, isn't it, to, to have the fun and to have the crack outside of it. Have to have the crack, like sure, geez. That's what I'm all about, anyway, having to crack. Uh, well, I have to train hard as well, obviously, and uh, 
do the best we can. But uh, yeah, sure, that's the for me anyway. That's my life is just have a have a bit of crack, like. Yeah, and yeah. has has the man Keeney been retired, or are we ever like are we ever likely to see that return? Not a mother-in-law has that framed <laughs> in our bedroom. I fucking that was the, one of the questions is where is this coming from the, these tweets anyone that's not familiar check Spike's Twitter out and the com- and the pictures and the posts that, I often think that poor lady <laughs> I, she must and be well able for it is she she does not have it. that's true <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a bit about it but uh, I don't know how it all came about was, uh, I was living with her for a few years like because I had no finances basically sorry you know boxing is uh, it's tough to make a shilling and like and uh and uh, as you're working your way up, uh, horses wouldn't be great and uh, couldn't afford to buy a house. So I was living with the mother-in-law and I get on great with her and I still do. And, uh, you know, um, that's where all the jokes came from. Like, he's a great girl, crack with her. Like, we've good laugh and uh, she's a great woman and uh, good crack. Yeah, no, they're brilliant. And they're always in good taste. I know there's some of them are a bit, but they're always brilliant. And every time you see them, it's like... I tried to put them in context with me with, with, with my mate's mother-in-laws and stuff and you're like oh. <laughs> some of those wouldn't watch but obviously <laughs> you can always tell that it's that, that there's a clear there's a good connection there and there's a good relationship so it's always a great laugh Ah yeah I wouldn't say it otherwise like you know, if I didn't like her I wouldn't act the bollocks <laughs> like I just fucking wouldn't pay any attention to her all like if I didn't like her but uh, uh, she sounded out and a uh, very good relationship and uh it's just a bit of a laugh, like. We'll have to get a, a someday. Maybe you're likely to see her become famous and, and end up like a no context <laughs> heron sort of thing. Oh yeah, Spike's you know, mother in law. There, there was actually a page set up about her, right? To Spike's mom in law or something there on Twitter. But I, one time, right, I went small but too far. Like I, uh, I freaking, I went out to her. Uh, she was asleep on the couch when I came in. She always takes an old siesta. Like she thinks she's Spanish, but uh, she was asleep on the couch when I came in. <laughs> And uh, she smokes, so I got an ashtray. And if you look at the ashtray, a load of butts of cigarettes, and uh, put it up on the couch beside her, up on top of the, the arm of the chair. And I went to the wheelie bin, and I got a few empty cans of cider and beer or whatever, and I got a couple of bottles of uh, vodka or whatever was in the bin. And because our my my brother-in-law, I know he still lives with his mum, and uh, his buddies be having you know a few drinks in the house the weekends or whatever sometimes. And uh, so I went there the night to go bottles of vodka and wine and all that. Once you were asleep in the coat, I positioned all the uh, cans and bottles and the ashtray in front of her. I took a snap, removed them all and I tweeted it, rough weekend for the mother-in-law. But <laughs> call me for sister-in-laws and uh, my brother-in-laws and all, they're all on the Twitter so they were ringing me telling me to fucking take it down because it was horribly for real this time. It went so bit, I, I... Most people probably wouldn't have known or probably thought it was a joke, but this, that one was... But, like, there's a lot of people know on Twitter, I, I've realised that they uh, live locally, follow me a lot, and uh, they'd be uh, watching about her as well, like, so when it was really hard then, like, yeah, my sister-in-law's were going fucking mad over it, so... <laughs> You're making her famous <laughs> on all the Because, like, it looked legit. It looked legit, <laughs> that's the way I positioned all the bottles and all that, and the, the cigarettes and all that, yeah. Uh, they were, going, they were going a bit mad over that one. It's, it's gen- this is genuinely not a cover-up now of you trying to just uh, say I shouldn't have told the whole world that she had been on a bender for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she told me would I cover her up for... <laughs> the next time you've done her a favour because no one would believe it if they do see it. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the first, I suppose, the first of the biggest and the highest profile fights, I mean, you had, you, you worked your way steadily up to it, but um, it, it was... 
it must have been a pretty special occasion. Before I get to the to the big fight, I always love the story you talk about going to see um, one of my heroes, and and I had got I suppose about four of them in as a kid growing up. One of them was Phil Linnett. Uh, Roy Keane would have been one of them. Um, Wayne McCullough was one, and and the Celtic warrior himself was was um, to an extent on the night of my twenty first. I ran around myself and my best mate with shamrocks shaved into the side of our head. <laughs> the night he boxed Eubank, um, I'd be af- I wouldn't say I'd be afraid, but I would be almost certain to get tongue tied if I ever got the the um, opportunity to sit in front of the man. He he did things, and I've said this in a tweet for Ireland and Irish boxing at a time. On a, to me on a level of Italian 90 it, it gave the country a lift it gave it a belief because there was the pomp and the arrogance around Eubank and the genuine yeah. boxing brilliance but um, it came to a shudder and halt and the line I used there a while ago was don't believe in the hype believe in the man I used it for Nile for talking about the, this quote unquote savage if you want to call him that but um, that was a special night wasn't it that influenced you greatly in your career I did indeed, yeah. It was the first uh, professional fight I attended. I was actually 11 years of age. I was just about to embark on my own amateur career officially at 11, even though I'd had one or two uh, exhibitions prior to turning 11. But uh, it was in 1995, Park I walked to the uh, fight with my father and my brothers and um, we watched the fight. Yeah, it was unbelievable because I was a big Eubank fan and um, I've been watching him at Sky for years and he was kind of the fella that I used to look up the most box and uh, his love is uh, ring walks and simply the best in the motorbikes and all that uh, so yeah it really got me hooked on boxing that night uh, I was just kind of era sure I was only 11 like I it was a real dream looking at it I thought mm. fucking hell oh my god unreal I was it's the same as yourself I was a I was a Eubank fan and I used to get a lot of shit for it because oh, what do you follow on him for and he's this that and the other but I, something about him it was it, it was I suppose in it's kind of state of me the ability to see through all that I mean, he was selling the fight. You know what I mean? He's selling. He was doing what he was doing. But by Jesus, when he he was able to box as well, and he was tough out. Oh, he was. But yeah, I thought he was great. I still do. Uh, still a big fan. A big fan of the fathers. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I, I respect him and great respect for him. And uh, I think he's great for boxing. And uh, uh, I think he he does some mad things, right? But sure. I suppose I've done a few fairly mad things myself, like so on the paddle back. No, I, I think you're right, Spike. I think um I think it was in the days before the art of selling fights was was what it is now. Everybody knows now and everybody tries to have a stick and everybody tries to have a there was always and and to this day with with him, with senior, we still look at him and think which is real and which is I mean, you see him on, on Gogglebox with the fucking sheriff's badge and, and you're wondering <laughs> what's going on there, you know, but then you hear him speak on London Reel and places like that, you watched them, you remembered them, and, and a little bit like Lennox against Tyson, and, and people probably didn't realise how, or Tyson against Lennox, people didn't realise how tough and hard he really was until he fought Calzaghe and took, he took a woeful beating that night, and, and, and as did Tyson against Lewis, and people probably ironically gave him more credit in those fights, when when he was, he, he sold a fight with Sky until he ran into that man, and then to go full circle, would you have trained beside Steve or was he he was well finished by the time you came around was he um, but he was retired yeah but I trained alongside him numerous times he's still in great shape he still trains to this day you can find out in the Celtic Warrior gym there in Cardiff uh, frequently enough he's uh, he's uh, he, uh, he's still like uh, he still looks like he could fight I'm sure he could uh, still very very fit he actually still he reminds you a lot of, I was actually in thought to my my strength and conditioning coach there in the Bardic Arena about this I said Steve still looks um you know, like he did when he was fighting. He's in great shape. Um, 
know, all of those. Chris Eubank Senior, you know, um, one the fight I think back of. Oh, you were just mentioned the Kazaki fight. I was thinking the uh, Carol Thompson fight because Thompson was absolutely massive, and uh, Eubank, Jesus, some heart and some tough man, and uh, you had an awful bait in that fight. But yeah. uh, you know, there was no no giving up, tough man like. No, no, and when you look at the when you, I mean, the middleweight division right now has all the components. I won't say it, I won't say it to be as good. But it, it probably has more more they've more marketing in them. They're all individually able to market themselves. But as far as boxing goes at that time, you had three fellas himself, Eubank and Ben. I mean, whatever about marketing, you were taking your life in your hands with any one of them and they all went toe to toe and they all went back for more. Which I don't know, were you ever going to see it at that level again, really, to be honest? Um I don't know. I don't know, like but what I kind of me about that whole scenario is uh, Ben and Eubank were very good fighters, but um, they seem to kind of get a lot more credit and publicity still to this day, you know, probably because they're Brits, uh, and Steve Collins, and he beat the two of them twice, mm. you know, and he, he kind of he beat the two of them convincingly twice as well. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, sure, too sure what it is, but I think he deserves a lot more credit than he gets, really. Yeah. I think I think you're right, and I saw a fantastic tweet last week. Um, I made a note of it. I think you were tw- you were tagged on it as well. It was um, uh, let me see. I wrote his name down there. Matthew Elliott wrote a tweet about how he was in the dressing room. I don't know. Do you know that he tweet? It was the he was describing the scene after the fight with Eubank and Steve, and uh, he was well, lying in the corner. Was, uh, Matthew, Matthew Elliott. Matthew Elliott. Yeah. I know him very well. He's Steve's cousin. Ah, I was wondering. He must have been only a boy at the time, was he? Or youngish, anyway. Yeah. Um, no, Matthew is about 70 now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he looks about 70. No, I think he's about 40 odd. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he goes to a lot of my fights as well. He was in, uh, you know, Vegas and all that. He goes to LA, I think, as well. Yeah, he's a big sport for mine, a top guy. Anyone that hasn't yeah. seen it or hasn't been aware of it, what it is, is the photograph of the raps that Steve wore the night That's before. Right. Yeah. And, and he wrote a little piece underneath it and, and I can't get it word for word but g- generally what he was saying was that Steve was lying in the corner exhausted, literally exhausted from the fight and as they cut them off he threw them over and held them and that was literally, they are now and as he said himself, rightly so, boxing history but they are literally, I would safely say they could even be worth something at this point in time certainly to boxing oh, fans Without doubt, I'm sure he auctioned them off like, definitely but uh, some things for us fight people, biking for, for for boxing lovers and boxing fans, they go a little bit more than money and that kind of thing. For me, you, you put that in the case and you and you just it's like the holy water years ago going out the door. You you best yourself as you go by them. It'll be something like that. That's exaggerating yeah, I, a little bit, but that's that's the level I would hold that man seriously respectful man. I'd say like it was probably it was definitely arguably the biggest fight in the history of Irish boxing. Uh, you know the because of the fight against Eubank and Sky and the interest at the time was you know unbelievable so I think uh, those, those uh, bandages could work nearly more than any bandages around and I think your point as well about courting, uh, the media and uh, courting the media I think uh, would be a lot of the time and I believe it is because Steve kind of retired out of the public eye, he 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 kind of went back to doing his own thing. He, I heard a brilliant interview with Tris Dixon a few months, probably about a year or so ago, where he literally met and it was so no frills attached. It was so everything we loved about him. We just wandered in, sat there, chatted away, and then wandered away. 
And it was like yeah. there's uh, the air of mystique about it and all that. Whereas the other two have kind of courted the media on and off. Now their sons are living off their names. There's been none of that crack with, with our boy. He's, it's just been a case of what was always so great about him. He just, he stayed true to himself. And the three brothers, I'd say, I wouldn't fancy picking around. Imagine getting caught in the middle of them three. Roddy, Steve or, or Packy. <laughs> you, you'd be under serious pressure there. <laughs> no, definitely. They're tough men. And they have another brother, uh, Michael. And he's the... He'd be the biggest of the four of them, and he's a strong man as well. Fine, strong man. Um, they all are. But they're they're. they're, they're, they're I know their mother very well as well. She's the same. You can see it. See all the lads in her. She's a very uh, healthy, strong woman. Yeah, and and you know what they are, Spike. They're, 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 you can see that in your team, and you can see it in the Celtic Warriors team, and you can see it in the even Young Reese. I spoke to Young Reese a few months ago for the first time. What a lovely fella, you know. And and it's just. It's it 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 follows through and and it shines through in in that family kind of mentality about it. Even when all the the messing is going on, to have them behind you at any one point in time as a, as a reference point or to go to for information or advice, it must be just. I mean, where else? Who else would you? Who else would you want to go to? Oh, true. Yeah, they're the best. Um, but I, the first of that high profile fights in your in your own pro career that I was looking at was at Wembley. Was that Chisora? Chisora's was he the main fight on that? Was that? You, you you box Billy Joe yeah. obviously for the world title. Yeah, that was um who was it again? Uh, Chisora against Malik Scott. Yeah, Malik Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where's he gone? I think he's a sparring partner. I think now isn't he for for Wilder? I think the last I heard. Could be. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. He's been off the beat track already, but I think yeah, I haven't heard much about him to be honest. But um, yourself and Billy Joe. He was Joe. 35 and all. Yeah, he was 35 and all actually at the time. Malik Scott and Chisora surprised people by beating him. I think. Uh, Chisora actually could surprise people again against Uzak. Uzak's unbelievable, but uh, Chisora, I'd say, will be a win a good bit, and uh, he can he can give he can punch, you know. And Uzak's a small everywhere. I think is a possibility that uh, Chisora might knock him out. Jesus, that'll be um, that'll be two serious Ukrainian defeats over the last because I I, I sat the alarm yeah. the other night and got up for that one. And that I know, one. so did I. I did as well. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that at all. Now I knew there was a chance. I didn't think it'd be outpointed. I genuinely didn't think he'd do what he did. But um, Wayne McCullough messaged Something. me afterwards. I just said, "Did you go to it? And had you seen it?" And he said, "No." But he said, "Youth, youth won the fight," and that that was the way he summed it up for me. So. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I just I think this way. I just think it. Um, Lomachenko got his tactics at the two late. He, he gave away probably the first seven rounds, I thought, and uh, well, it's arguable he didn't win a round for the first seven. And she uh, can't get 12 rounds if he loses the first seven. And I think if he maybe he always starts off slow as first round, but maybe he at least intensified think the third round. He was clearly the better boxer, like I thought, but uh, yeah. he just uh, another thing was the size difference was significant, I thought, and uh. You know, I say if it was the opposite way around, if Lomachenko was the bigger man, you know, uh, he'd have won with ease. Yeah, I, I, I was reluctant to say it. the size, of course, was massive and it was obvious. And by the time they came to the ra- to the ring, you could have been looking at a, a junior welter, maybe. In in now, I know it wasn't in the fact that we'll say that with Rigo and nobody wanted to make so. I'm reluctant to use that, but. I, I genuinely think I think he got hit hard in the second round really hard yeah. I think he felt it and I think that made him a little bit gun shy whereas yeah. he should have gone around four or five. I think you're right when he did go the levels were, were frighteningly different I mean he was he, he was he had him but then credit Lopez he came back in that 12 round and won it when he needed to and he did it did um, yeah. make an intriguing rematch but I, I, I don't think either, I don't think either are going to hang around are they? 
Jeez, I don't know, but I'd I'd like to see a rematch, you know. But uh, some part of Lomachenko is the best, I think, you know. But uh, it's just a bit small, and that Uzak as well is unbelievable, great boxer. But uh, again, he he will be the smaller man again against uh, Chisora. No, I know Chisora is no um, Lopez, but um, you know he's a dangerous man. He's heavy and he's got a lot of experience, and uh, he has nothing to lose, you know. And uh, I think he'll he's a lot of experience and. Uh, you know, I know Uzak has a lot of experience, well, obviously, but he hasn't been in there with someone like Chisora, I don't think. Definitely not a heavyweight, any, obviously. So, but uh, be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I think yeah, it could be a shock on the cards. Definitely. And we've Big Tommy on the card that night as well, looking for the European title. That'll be a fantastic. Due to talk to him today or tomorrow, so hopefully yeah, yeah. He can, that that'll be a, that'll be a super win for him as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, big profile as well. Like you know, Sky, brilliant. Yeah, and, great and for Tommy and Mark Dunlop doing great do things as well for the lads. Ah. Very nice for him, Mark Dunlop, and I, I know a Tommy well as well, and uh, I'd be rooting for him. Yeah, no, it'll be um, Tommy served as he served his apprenticeship now, and he's he's uh, he's coming nice at the right time. I I talked to Tommy; it was this time about two years ago. I chatted to him, and he was he had just finished up at MTK, and he was he was at a little bit. I know it's a crossroads, it's a bit of a cliche, but he definitely was, and it was a case of wasn't sure what was and and sure slowly but surely when he signed with Mark Dunlop it turned around the Reactor fight was a was a learning one for him but he he's he's proved everybody since that, that that he has it and he always did you know he's a and he's a great fella too a smashing fella he is yeah he's great he's great talent like you know and he's he's getting more experience as he goes by and like myself just because you get beat doesn't mean you're it's no over for you know, like sure, many, many great fighters over the years, many losses and look at Mickey Ward, he had eleven losses before he turned in decent like so you know, you're all, you're always learning, like. You yeah. know, sure I remember uh, being in New York where uh Vander Holyfield and the radio station and he was saying that uh he's been four times every champion in the world and he was still learning, so if he's still learning, who's not, you know? Yeah, and I think you're 100% right there with losses. And I, I, I think I mentioned this to, if it wasn't Niall, it was Ray when I was chatting to him. What, what I, what, one of the many things that me and, and Irish boxing fans love about yourself is that defeats never defined you, you, you. And you never went hiding. And, and there was one particular tweet I remember when, I think it was after the Lemieux fight, you went to a carnival or a circus or something and you were out front yeah. and centre acting the clown and messing and whatever else. And to me, that was a case of getting out there straight away and saying listen I'm still here I'm not going anywhere it's not going to end me and and that's not to say that nobody doubts that they hurt and the feats hurt and but they never define you and they never they never cast too much of a shadow over your career do they? Not a lot but the guys on the shoulders with the Lemieux fight I think it was a lucky punch that's a genuine shoulder no obviously he's very good at throwing those punches that he does throw and fierce powerful but uh, I fucking got it late on the night and you know I really think if I could just got over the ambulance and back in the ring I could have beat the show room like you know yeah. that's, that's why I believe um, you know fuck it uh, and he was horrible I mean we've seen the build ups to some of the fights and, and, and I want to go back I suppose and get a little bit ahead of it one after the Billy Joe fight that was a case of and, and yourselves you've gone on to become it's safe to say friends since that fight haven't you yeah we're good friends yeah we've chatted away and I've been over sparring with him uh, in his training camps you know so yeah, and your memories of that fight was that um, it, it was the first, it was your first world title fight, wasn't it? My first defeat, like yeah, to uh, Bejo Saunders, yeah. Well, no, I I won that title. I won that title. I was the champion. I I won it um, in Upton Park in um, July fourteenth, my birthday, two thousand twelve. I still have the belt there inside my house, inside the cabinet, inside the house there. But uh, I won it against Matthew Hall, and. Uh, 
I was defending against Billy Joe. That's what that was. I was trying to remember, and then I was getting mixed. I was looking at times the timeline then for Fitzy as well, because I was trying to remember that was yeah. another big huge uh, that really grew legs as well. <laughs> um, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I think I fought for sure after I think yeah, I fought on two thousand and. Yeah, and well, you fought, fought Jonkus in between. I was, I was, I was going to pretend I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just kind of a warm up for uh, Billy Joe, and uh, then I fought. Uh, I'm not sure, but funny, I, I think I might have fought. For sure, I, I fought for sure. Laughed at anyway. You had Medina, I think, in between. You had Billy Joe, oh, yeah, and yeah. then you had Medina she's win after that. The I Mexican guy, yeah, she's yeah. a tough fight that one. Yeah. That uh, was. Geez. That was in. I think that might have been in Boston, was it? It was. Yeah, most yeah. blues, Boston. Yeah, tough fight. Tough fights, tough, um, tough. I learned opponents. a lot. I learned a lot in that one. Actually, it was one of the fights I learned a lot, and you know, he taught me a lot. That was one that people thought, oh, he's taking, a, he's just taking a handy one back. It, it turned out to be, but there's, there's no handy Mexican opponents, as, and and we know, we we know that from watching and looking over the years. But the Fitzy thing, then I, I'll get to the Boston connection in a few minutes, and and the, and the drop kicks and and Ken Casey and and the phenomenal things they're doing for you lads and for Irish boxers in general, but. Uh, the, the Fitzy thing was that a, a rivalry? Did did that grow legs over the, or was it something that was there from the amateur days, or because it did definitely as the, as it went on, it got a little bit more intense and got a little, or was it a just a classic Dublin Cork thing? No, no, I just I remember him from the amateurs. All right, like you remember, I remember him being a good amateur, and uh, I think we were around the same age anyway. I think as far as I remember, we were, we're in the same championship discussion. We never fought in the amateurs, didn't we? Never know, but uh, uh, we sparred a couple of times and. I think he fancied the fight, like, and uh, he was calling me out continuously. But it just, it was never that I was afraid of. I was never ever afraid of anybody. It was just the, the time it just wasn't right. Like, and I think, I think he was offered a fight at one stage to fight me in Liverpool or something. Like that and he refused that fight. So, like, it just, it just never happened. And he never materialized. So he, but he was be saying that I wouldn't fight him. The boss, the fight him was, it was bullshit. Anyway, uh, which I think I proved in the end. But. Um, and I was getting heat because he was saying all that and then it was added rivalry through, through social media I think it was a couple of people on his side giving me a lot of grief and you know so and it, was, it was good to put that one to bed yeah I was at that one that night that was in Dublin it was on the, the Macklin card as well and it was that was a cracking card yeah. some great fights on that card one of those one of those special Dublin boxing nights but uh, we were yeah, starved of them here in the south at the minute, but yeah, that 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 rivalry was put to bed fairly sharp and fairly fairly definitively that night. Um, and yeah. um, what you mentioned there a few minutes ago, I suppose anyone that look at you and say, and we talk about Eubank and all that and selling a fight, you to me would be a promoter's dream. You, you're out there, whether it's the whether it's the sombrero, whether it's the suit, whether it's the glasses, or whether it's the whole lot together. Um, but that's all well and good if you don't have somebody like Ken Casey and, and his machine behind him. Talk to me a little bit about him and the Bostons because I've, I've watched you guys box on, on Paddy's Night on, on the internet and stuff. It's a, it's a little bit special, isn't it? It's 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 what I would wish Paddy's Day is here. Yeah, great atmosphere. Uh, you know that you wouldn't match it anywhere, really, I don't think. Uh, it's, it's great, great, crazy nights. Uh, you know, absolutely. Who knows whether we'll get back to him or what. I don't know at this bloody pandemic but uh, uh, they were amazing nice to be part of um, they live on live on the memory for me anyway for the rest of my life and uh, it was great to get the opportunity to participate in them and you know I'm good friends with Ken outside of boxing as well and uh, you know they were great nights 
Yeah. And for anyone that hasn't seen them, I've watched the links. It's it's like you're getting fights, you're getting an you're getting an atmosphere that you would have to you'd have to kind of click underneath and see is this in Dublin? Is this in Boston? Where, where is this? You've got Woodsy commentating, and he yeah. Woodsy to me is one of the voices that that we need to hear more of. He's he's phenomenal. He does it on his own link. And he does it on Facebook, and then you have when you lads are coming to the ring, it's as if it's again you have to remind yourself these guys are in America, they're in Boston, and the, Niall told me a lot in the past. They treat you like they, they treat you special, don't they? They treat you like superstars when you're there. Well, there's a big Irish contingency in uh, New York and Boston anyway, you know. So there's a lot of not a lot of Irish been there, like they're full Irish, fully blown Irish people, like. Uh, and there's been uh, many people that have come up and supported me over the years. Well, made a trip over and uh, oh, <laughs> I remember walking around one time, uh, and there was a neighbour's mind that I didn't even know were going. You know, the road, like, you know, so it was, yeah, it was a spe- special night. You yeah, know. I, I think Paddy's day in Ireland has got, and I say this often, it's gone a little bit stagnant, I think, something like that. And then you get in the middle of it, then the drop kicks come out and they play a few songs and then the place is just hopping by then if it hasn't already. And then the main fight comes on and it's, it's just, it's, it's, that's what I believe Paddy's day should be now, you know, make a festival of it. Yeah, we've had some great things with Dropkicks. I've been around tour when I'm, I've been to London. I've been backstage out in the stage. Ken introduced me to crowd, getting me more sports or whatever. Like, um, I've been to New York. I've got to in Madison Square Garden, actually. And uh, Ken and the band, they played uh, two concerts per day for four days in New York. Just goes to show how popular they are. Uh, it was an unusual um, thing for professional boxers to get out on the stage come up to fight twice per day you know been introduced to the crowd and up stage uh, box yes uh, rock band uh, fans is good fan they went crowd one night actually is, uh, they're mad passionate as well they love their they're, I suppose to be like punks kind of punk stroke rock but there's of course yeah. they're, they're shipping up to Boston is their well known one but their, their music yeah. is really good and, and his voice I, I often wonder it's, it must be like he must need a, a half a ton of ice afterwards after he's singing after the show because it's like <laughs> talk about growling and graveling. It's incredible. Like, yeah, I see me wrecked after the uh, show. I was right there to be like fellas at fighting a twelve round fight. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine because he he definitely puts it in and he puts it in and he loves his oh, boxing. And, and where's his connection with boxing come? Is it is it something he's always loved? Is it? Oh, well, actually, all happened was uh, with a guy called Danny O'Connor. I know Danny well as well. He actually came to visit us in Dublin. He had the Warrior Gym there for a week. He stayed in the city with me. But uh, so he was commuting. I can't remember where it was, but somewhere very long distance from Boston. Anyway, he's from Boston, Denny. And uh, Ken decided to again the box just to help promote and start promoting a few shows locally because I think he was, I'm not sure he was, I think he was having the, he was with his missus. He was sort of having the kid at the time or something like that anyway. So it just wasn't. Um, Working out for Danny to be travelling so far, and Ken said again to box and try and help him out because of all his connections. And you know, Ken has a few businesses, bars, restaurants around Boston, and he's well established in Boston. He's like the kind of unofficial mayor of Boston, so uh, he just decided to get involved with boxing to help Danny out, and then kind of snowballed from there. And he ended up signing a few more fighters, including myself. Yeah, and then it, it, yeah, and 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 from that really gave you the springboard, I suppose, in the states, and then. I mean, what's it like to have the likes of Golden Boy and Oscar, um, not just as your promoters, but to to see it kind of vibing with them and having to crack with them? They, they must get some laugh out of yourself and 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 Packy as well. And there's a good bond there. I don't know, yeah, we get on very well with them. 
absolutely fantastic to work with. Uh, you know, I've, I grew up watching the uh, Golden Boy promotions uh, as a young fella, like, so I, uh, actually there, like, it's like for a young aspiring football player, wanted to play for Manchester United, and that's me in boxing, I'm the Golden Boy promotions, and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to fight with all the big promoters, really, you know, uh, with Eddie Hearn as well, and Matt Trum, and Frank Warren, and Lou DeBella as well, actually, promoted my fight in Madison Square Garden, and, uh, I believe Murphy's boxing as well. You know they're becoming a, fo- a force as well in boxing. And but uh, Golden Boy is the mecca for me anyway. And yeah. uh, it's great to be with them. And uh, I get on great with all the all the staff there. I know all the staff very well, and uh, I'm in frequent contact with them. And uh, it's great and fortunate enough actually as well. They now have the uh, WBO late middleweight world champion Patrick Teixeira, uh, Brazilian chap, and uh, I think we can make that fight. Maybe I wasn't. Him. I wasn't forgetting about that fella. Don't you worry. That boy I was going to get his few minutes here. Now I was slowly coming to it. The little thing I wanted to talk to you last before I got to that was um, the, the connection and the bond. And I know we touched on it in a joke earlier on with Packy. But your your yeah. career has um has a lot of has a lot of points in it where you can see like joining up with Ken, which kind of catapulted your career then in the states. But the one with Packy is. I think it's safe to say at this stage of your career that when we see Spike, we're going to see Packy on your shoulder. And if we don't see Spike, or if we do see Spike, or we don't see it, you're not going to see one without the other, I don't think, at this point, are we? They're just It's just special. How special is it? And and was it always like that from the jump, or is it something that you lads have just, it's it's grown stronger over the years? No, I think we always got on very well from the very beginning. And uh, through the years, I think other fighters have, come and went and I've always been there and uh, I was there actually from the beginning I was the very first one there kind of in the beginning and then the very first show in Ireland and uh, you know uh, just we became he's, he's my youngest daughter's uh, godfather and um, oh, very good friends and um, you know, I just I, I I was at Crossroads a few times where I considered retirement uh, you know and to what the fights coming and I had other offers to do this to that but I just thought that fight but I'd go gonna go with Pascal I just I'd, I'd probably pack it in like so uh, you know he was he taught me a lot and uh, you know mentally and physically as well as my, my boxing combinations etc and a lot and stuff like that but uh, also uh, yeah we're very close and uh, you, you won't be seeing one without the other no yeah, no, I couldn't imagine it to be honest with you. And I know in this day and age, it's it seems to be the, um, and and I don't really have I don't have any issues with that either. It's it, for me, it's boxers first all the time. And with Pascal and trainers like him, that's what you see. It's his fighter that's first all the time, and you see that. And and the one occasion that springs to mind is, and I know it's become I won't say popular, but it's become a moot point with the media in the recent years. Of fight of a coach pulling his fighter out, and and oftentimes then the media decide they're going to and with. It happened with you in the Eubank fight, and I'm not dragging up all bad memories or anything else. But when the year went and Packy realised what was going on, it was never. And and I loved so much the way that you were able to say, "Listen, you knew where he was coming from. You didn't like it at the time, and you would have and wanted to box on, but he knew his opinion was, you've got another day, you've got many more days, and and that yeah. was that was probably before. I won't say I won't say it's even cool, but it it, it became a, a popular topic in in media and in boxing circles, didn't it? In in recent years, but it was always there with him. No, I, I quickly made up my mind after, like, to be honest, uh, you know, he, he made the right decision and, uh, 
like to see what happens Nick Blackwell with Eubank in the next fight like and uh, so that could be me you know so uh, Nick Pascal definitely made the right decision um, yeah yeah no he, it was it was as I said it was the first and then you probably had when it does happen people are saying it shouldn't and when it doesn't happen people are saying it should so I think what you got to realise is people like himself and yourself you've got a relationship you're in the game so long you've known so much you've forgotten more about it than any of us could ever really want to know and learn and hope to learn so you got to trust that at times and, and it's be, it's that bond between you lads that makes it and and uh, it's it's great to see because I think pound signs and euro signs lately are speaking a lot louder than, than anything else and and uh, I don't think I don't think they could they could could they load the truck enough to to drive that <laughs> to to change anything there. I don't think they could could they? No, no, definitely not. I mean, like with the uh, the move fight when I got knocked down, um, Pascal had the towel ready to throw in again. He knows me very well, and uh, he knows I'm 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 very tough, and uh, you know, it was down. So um, you know, he he was ready to throw down, and if the ref did never continue. You know, I was on my feet after a couple of seconds and the ref the ref done a good job there as well though he could see in my eyes that I wasn't right and you know, he was right as well. And uh you know, it's not all about money. I, I had to Canelo or Golovkin after that if I'd beaten Lemieux but uh when I got millions, but um just uh, you know your health is your wealth and uh, <clears throat> it's more important than any money. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt and, and um I think someone said before that there's no point in having a whole pile of money in the bank if you don't know where the bank is or you can't find the bank. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't hear that one before, but uh, yeah, definitely. And if it's a real problem, that one. Um, the one I want to get to now, and, and the one that I suppose two things. Uh, we've a fellow, a good a fellow that I'm out to getting fairly well close with here in the last few years. Um, a fellow Kildare man, of course, he's at the same weight level as yourself. And, and I want to finish up on that one, Dennis Hogan and yourself, somewhere down the line. But first and foremost, there's a fella. You talk to me about him. I don't know. Is he talking? Is he tweeting? Is he tweet talking? Is he? He's I, he's saying one thing and he's back another. We're talking, of course, to Texteria. He's a golden boy fighter. He's at that same weight level as yourself. Um, what's going on there, Spike? What what's happening there, and what what are we likely to see? Well, uh, I've been talking to Golden Boy, and you know, I think that's that fight. Uh, a very strong possibility that that was going to happen for me uh, next year, two thousand twenty-one. I'd say. And is that a case of Golden Boy putting it in? Is that a case of being a mandatory? Or, or because he, he doesn't like engaging with you too much, does he, in Twitter or anywhere else? He doesn't come out too well, well over. No, well, he's not. I don't think there's not many fellas we had to beat me on social media. I don't think, but he uh, no, he's after making up a few things and sending me uh, taking the piss out of me as well. So it, it's good, you know. It gets people interested, and uh, I think there's enough interest there. And I think that's that's the way it's going to happen. The one I want to want to make. And when when would you? When, I suppose it's impossible in these ways, the way things are at the moment. But it it would be a it would be a clash of styles that would be very very friendly for TV and everything else, and it'd have a build up to it. Best guess? Could you guesstimate, or if it were to happen? And again, there's nothing sure or nothing concrete. I don't know. I'd say it'll be. A, I don't think it'll be next year. A, you know, I, I'm not too sure. But going by, you never know. You know. A, they could say January, like I did, like I fought Mungia last January, or, or um, maybe May or or March. Who knows in Boston? Who who knows? Because Murphy's boxing are very strongly connected, obviously with Golden Boy, and uh, they could put it on as a Patrick's Day thing in Boston. Who 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 knows? You know, it depends with pandemics. Well, like we just don't really know, you know. And would that be feasibly, Spike? That's the next time we're likely to see you, or are you hoping to get a fight in between then and before then? Um, might might uh, have a tune up a bit between yeah, 
I'd like to have a little tune up in between, yeah. So you're, you're, you're in the gym at the moment, you're training, you're working away and you're you're keeping them young guys on your toes tip, as well? I'm tipping away, yeah. Uh, no, that, that gym is actually gone now. Uh, Lockman is gone, doesn't exist anymore. But uh, I'm in the gym training myself. I punch bag out the back there and uh, and keeping strong and running and keep just keeping in shape, keeping digging over. You know, I've invested experience at this stage and, uh, you know, I don't think I need to be, I just need to keep myself in shape. Yeah, yeah. And the one I'll finish on and I'll let you go and thanks a million for your time on, on, a, on a dirty, cold, wet Monday night. Um, appreciate it a lot. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. But um, as I said to you, Kildare man here, Dennis Hogan, he's he's moved across. He's he's, he's moved to Australia. He's, he's, he's done well in Australia. He's built his profile. He's had two huge fights. There's another one in the pipeline that... I, if you don't know about it, I can, I can probably tell you about it off air or whatever else. But... Um, for me, as a fight fan and and, and, a, and a, a, an Irish Republic of Ireland fight fan, my dream some days and hopefully to see uh, another ni- many more nights like we used to have in the point where you where you were on those cards yourself and and there were special atmospheres whether it was Macklin or Bernard Dunn or or whatever the case may be. Uh, I happen to believe that it'll be a case of you winning a title and maybe Dennis winning a title, and then is there a likelihood anywhere down the line of of ever seeing you fellas going at it? Who knows? You know, stranger things have happened. Uh, well, it's certainly a possibility we're in the same weight division, we're on the same age. No, but uh, <clears throat> I sparred with Dennis before, and uh, he's a nice guy, you know, like the majority of boxers. And you know, I wish him luck, and I hope he does go on and win a world title. Uh, you know, um, I wish him the very best, but it's not, he's not something I'm looking at right now. Like, I want to predominantly want to try and win the world title. I've had all those domestic fights over the years, and yeah. By many big fights, I made a lot of money, and you know it's the world title kind of chasing, really, more yeah. so than you know. It's to stay on course, exactly, and and you know what it is. He's the same because you've had Tim Zoo and you've had all these lads coming out of the dark, out of out of sidelines now, out of the, the yeah. wings, and making all sorts of calls and everything else. But at this point of his career, and and indeed yours, it's 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 a matter of just staying on course. You, you've you've made the few quid, you're you've got your health. Um, and and now it's a matter of just crowning glory and getting that belt around the waist and what a night that'll be, wouldn't it? Exactly, yeah, that's uh, it's been my dream since a very, very young age and you know, that's more so what I want to pursue and uh, I'm sure it's the same with Dennis and uh, I don't think either of us are afraid of each other, you know, just there's nothing like that. I wouldn't uh, accuse him of being afraid of me or nor am I afraid of him, but uh, you know, it's just uh, yeah, we're both on uh hats to our own you know, if one of us becomes champion, maybe fight the other or whatever like that. You know, I remember Dennis saying, if you became the champion, you fight me. Uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Like, you know, and just to give us a word, Spike, I let you go again. Thanks a million for your time. And 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 as I said, it's it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Really, really enjoyed chatting with you. But for the Irish fans and and the the hordes of Spike fans all around the world in Boston, whether it's Ireland, Australia, wherever, just a message for them. And and when we feasibly hope to see you again. Actually, funnily enough, there I was just thinking myself and Dennis we actually exchanged a few private messages there. Uh, wish each other luck prior to all fights. We're all to support each other as well, like, you know, but uh, who knows down the line, you know, if uh, help make each other a few bob at some point, you know, who knows then. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, all the fans. I hope you enjoyed uh, the conversation and uh, hopefully I'll be back in the ring uh, before too long again. And uh, I think uh, the best is yet to come from me. Not a bad way to close it out. The best is yet to come. I wasn't sure where that question about Dennis Hogan might lead. As we know, Spike is a past master at picking and forcing and willing fights into 
existence. But he's also respectful, honest and genuine. And maybe, just maybe, both those lads could go win titles, bring them back home to Ireland and throw them on the table and fight for all the marbles. We live in hope. Thanks to Spike. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to Kevin for his time earlier on as well. That's it for me and them until then. There'll be another little episode towards the back end of the week where myself and Johnny will have a look at the fights that went last week, the fights that are coming next couple of days or weeks and who knows what else. And until then, stay safe, stay sane and smile. All's well that ends well.